0: It's Thursday, March 10th, 2022, the 414th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Another day, another full set of narrative shifts about the bioweapons labs in Ukraine. And the denials have gotten Sillier and sillier. The narrative is shifting in our direction. Tucker Carlson did a long segment on it last night to lead off his show. I talked about how Tucker had just mentioned election fraud earlier this week. It's really important that people with platforms that large with mainstream audiences begin to push these narratives themselves. So to hear Tucker really take charge on the biolab issue is awesome because this is a narrative that could potentially bring down the entire thing. It connects to everyone and everything, and we're going to go through a bunch of that today, but we are drawing closer and closer to a point where people begin to understand that COVID and everything that happened as a result of COVID, all of that to some degree was a self-inflicted wound. Spearheaded by America's evil twin, along with its allies and partners. And it constitutes a direct attack on the people of the world. And that's not hyperbole. This is what the facts show. Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins were funding gain-of-function research in different venues around the world through the Eco Health Alliance. These were projects in partnership with our Department of Defense agencies and our intelligence agencies, and many of our most powerful politicians in America had financial and other interests in all of this research, and then with the pharma companies who make the cures for the diseases they create. So the White House had to get involved yesterday after Victoria Newland had admitted to the labs the night before, This is all an attempt to make this story go away, and it's not working. And Jen Psaki went on something of a tweet storm yesterday trying to spin this and trying to do damage control. Listen to each one of these tweets and how they begin to sound progressively crazier and more panicked and more desperate, hoping that she's giving something that People can attach to and believe they'll just listen to her and the whole thing will go away. She starts out. We took note of Russia's false claims about alleged U.S. biological weapons labs and chemical weapons development in Ukraine. We've also seen Chinese officials echo these conspiracy theories. So planting a flag, it's all a conspiracy theory. This is preposterous. It's the kind of disinformation operation we've seen repeatedly from the Russians over the years in Ukraine and in other countries, which have been debunked. And an example of the types of false pretexts we have been warning the Russians would invent. So it's all Russian disinformation. It's been debunked. And we told you that the Russians would make stuff up like this. The United States is in full compliance with its obligations under the Chemical Weapons Convention and the Biological Weapons Convention and does not develop or possess such weapons anywhere. So the first part of that is, don't worry, we have a policy that says we're not allowed to do that, which means that we don't do it. But also, we don't do it so those rules don't even apply to us. I mean, Since we're not involved with biological or chemical weapons, there's no way that we could be in violation of the biological and chemical weapons policies. I just threw that in there to let you know that if we were involved, we would definitely be following all the rules. They're rules. We follow them. Don't worry. It's Russia that has a long and well-documented track record of using chemical weapons, including in attempted assassinations and poisoning of Putin's political enemies like Alexei Navalny. So, hey, everybody, remember the guy that we say is Russia's savior, but he got poisoned by somebody and it was definitely Putin. And remember, we all decided to like that guy. That's proof that Russia is actually the problem with biological and chemical weapons. I mean, yeah, we got a bunch of labs, but they don't make weapons. And even if they did, we would be following the rules. All of this is Russian disinformation. It's a conspiracy theory by Russia and China. And we told you the Russians would try to do something like this. Very, very powerful stuff. It's Russia that continues to support the Assad regime in Syria which has repeatedly used chemical weapons. It's Russia that has long maintained a biological weapons program in violation of international law. So take our word for what happened in Syria. Everybody knows that this is what happened. It was all Putin. It was all Assad. It wasn't Hillary Clinton. There's no way it was Barack Obama. And Russia is the problem. I mean, sure, we said there were no biolabs, and it turns out that there are biolabs, but Russia's the problem. Also, Russia has a track record of accusing the West of the very violations that Russia itself is perpetrating. In December, Russia falsely accused the US of deploying contractors with chemical weapons in Ukraine. Now, wait, what? So, in December, the Russians accused the United States of deploying contractors with chemical weapons in Ukraine. Well, okay, but you just said that Russia has a track record of accusing the West of the very violations that Russia itself is perpetrating. So is Russia doing that? Because that's what she's implying. Is she accusing Russia of doing that? Or are we just supposed to take her prior statements as... Examples of Russia doing that thing that it accuses others of doing. The United States, the fake administration, is now using the I know you are, but what am I defense? Which is always one of their boldest propaganda moves. Everything bad about them is actually something bad about the other side. It turns out there's actually no way to accuse them of doing anything. Otherwise, you're at risk of exposing the fact that you did it yourself. It's an amazing defense. Actually, it might even be bigger than the I know you are, but what am I defense? This is basically a full on. He who smelt it, dealt it defense. It's strange, though, because I haven't seen. The United States claimed that Russia made covid, but we do have tons and tons of evidence that the United States, along with the CCP, actually did make covid that we have overwhelming evidence for. So if that's true, doesn't it mean that Russia actually did all that? And if that's the case, why aren't we accusing them? But Jen Psaki wasn't done. This is all an obvious ploy by Russia to try to justify its further premeditated, unprovoked and unjustified attack on Ukraine. Now, they say that stuff over and over and over and over and over again. It's unjustified, totally unjustified, totally unprovoked. How could they? And I love when they call it premeditated. What could be more obvious? Yes, he planned. An attack strategy. And now he is executing that attack strategy. And despite the comedic actor and his 10,000 armed civilians, and also, I mean, we're not supposed to talk about this, but also he has just battalions of neo-Nazis who will kill anyone indiscriminately, even if they're Ukrainian citizens, especially if they're in those separatist regions. But 10,000 armed citizens are bravely opposing his premeditated strategy. Now that Russia has made these false claims and China has seemingly endorsed this propaganda, we should all be on the lookout for Russia to possibly use chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine or to create a false flag operation using them. It's a clear pattern. Remember like a month or so ago when false flags themselves, just the concept of a false flag was a conspiracy theory. No matter how many race hoaxes we get, Jussie Smollett, Jussie Smollett's getting sentenced today, probably to like 20 hours of community service or something. But like a month ago, there was no such thing as a false flag. And then all of a sudden, Vladimir Putin, he was going to stage some false flag attacks in Ukraine where it looked like it looked like the Ukrainians were attacking Russian assets, which would draw Russia into the war. Did that happen? Well, no. So they've already been lying to us about the potential for a false flag for a month or maybe two months. That's the actual pattern here. Vladimir Putin staging false flags is not part of a pattern. It is part of a narrative Suggested by the fake administration and whoever is controlling them. But the pattern of false flags is 100% on the Jen Psaki side of things. This is one of those moments that you should understand that the fake administration and the people who share common interests with them and the news media and the tech companies are all lying to you. They're not making mistakes. The situation on the ground is not changing. The science is not evolving. They're just lying. And you can see them lying. And you can see the layers being peeled back on the lies. And you can see what lies they then revert to. Now they're being very specific about their lies. Well, there are no biological or chemical weapons factories there. At the beginning, it was just, no, there are no U.S. bio labs in Ukraine. Then it was, okay, well, there are U.S. biolabs in Ukraine, but they're not funded by the Department of Defense. Then it turns out they were. Well, they keep scaling this back and scaling it back, making their lie more and more and more and more and more specific. So I want to share this little video clip. Well, it's going to be audio for you. And this was found by the great chief nerd on Telegram. And yeah, people on Telegram have funny names. It's going to be okay. It's certainly better than taking the word of Taylor Lorenz from the New York Times or that guy, Matthew Rosenberg. I don't know if you have checked out what Project Veritas has been posting the last couple of days. They have undercover video of a New York Times national security reporter named Matthew Rosenberg, who was at the January 6th protest and said he and his fellow reporters were having a great time there for most of the day. It was being completely overblown by the media. Then he talked about an attempt a year later for them to kind of scale the story back and unwind it in order to memory hole it. And he actually used that term. Then he talked about how in order to get all this information from the CIA and the NSA, Because the actual employees have to take polygraph tests every year. And one of the questions asked of them is, have you talked to any reporters? What they do is have those CIA assets talk to a former official in the CIA or the NSA. And then that person tells the reporter. And so it should be clear that not only is the media lying to you, they are lying to you on behalf of the intelligence agencies. They literally exist to amplify the narrative of the intelligence agencies. So, watch those if you get a chance. But also, if you trust mainstream media figures, cable television hosts, writers for major newspapers, more than you trust anonymous strangers online. I would say you're making an incredibly stupid mistake. Now, it seems like it seems like those organizations must have some organizational integrity. There must be some certain set of skills and expertise required to be a writer for those organizations. But that doesn't seem to be true at all. And, you know, they are lying. They are constructing stories to mislead you intentionally. It does, in fact, make more sense to trust someone just off the street who seems to be honestly communicating whatever it is they personally know than a bunch of people who trade on the fact that their brand, the name of their organization, is what you're supposed to trust, and you're just supposed to trust whatever they say by virtue of that brand. That would be a crazy way to figure out who you should trust. And I've said this before, but it makes no sense to me that our friends, our family members, our neighbors, whatever, over the last couple of years, we have seen them refuse to listen to us and the things that we are telling them based on actual research we've done. We say things that we are prepared all the time to back up, but instead they'll trust Chris Cuomo or Rachel Maddow. Because they're on TV, they assume that there must be someone upholding the standards of journalistic integrity. But that's not true. How many times do you need it to be proven? The journalists out there who have those standards do not work for any of those organizations. Most of them have gone completely independent. And that's even especially true for journalists with integrity on the left people who I do not agree with about a lot of things by the way like Glenn Greenwald or Matt Taibbi they kept their integrity they went independent I bet they're actually doing better financially and their work is still fantastic I mean aside from the fact that they are completely clueless about election fraud I mean it's only the most important issue ever but that's all right but the point is I'm going to go ahead and trust an anonymous person over someone that works for a news organization. If that anonymous person's work continually checks out all the time and they're happy to support it and provide evidence that backs up their claims. What's important is the information, not who's giving it to you. So this video is of the former assistant secretary of defense for nuclear chemical and biological defense programs andrew weber he's explaining the work that his team was doing in ukraine and around the world during a 2017 ted talk
1: here i am in kiev ukraine with a brand new junior senator from illinois it's at a public health laboratory and he looks concerned, and it's because from this kitchen-like refrigerator behind me, the director of the health lab handed me this tray with vials of bacillus anthracis. That's the bacteria that causes anthrax. And we mapped many facilities like this throughout the Soviet Union. We were concerned that groups like Al-Qaeda, and later, ISIS could get their hands on these seed materials, starter cultures, to develop biological weapons for terrorist attacks. And we, we had a, a big program to consolidate and secure these dangerous pathogen collections, some of which had been left over from the Soviet biological weapons program. Now we're very concerned, not just about these traditional biological weapons, but that advances in science and synthetic biology and gene editing make it possible to develop novel, enhanced pathogens as biological weapons. And countries like North Korea, although we don't hear about it because the news is dominated by their nuclear weapons and missile programs, they have been applying these new scientific tools to developing more deadly biological weapons. And we need to pay attention to this. I believe it's perhaps more likely that they would Use biological weapons than nuclear weapons because
0: they could do it with a big leaf of denial so that's weird. He was in Kiev, Ukraine, not Kiev. it wasn't Kiev back then, it was still Kiev, but he was there with Barack Obama, and they were just wearing their normal suits, and he was past a tray of vials, and the vial that he was holding. He's saying that that was the bacteria that causes anthrax. So I guess they took that picture to show everybody how very, very careful they were at handling all of this stuff in their suits. And it's strange that he had anthrax there because that was one of the things that Russia just accused the United States of having in these bioweapons labs. All of that, of course, is a conspiracy theory and Russian disinformation. They're just trying to lay the groundwork for a false flag attempt. Now, in 2017, we weren't worried about that false flag attempt. So it was okay for people who had worked with Barack Obama to go out and give TED talks about these bioweapons. But now they don't exist and they never existed. This is from today in the National Pulse. U.S. funds Ukrainian former bioweapons facility handling dangerous materials with windows wide open. A Ukrainian biolab receiving funds from the U.S. government was formerly a bioweapons factory under the control of the Soviet Union, with experts recently reporting a, quote, lack of modern biosafety equipment, end quote, as well as, quote, lethal microbes that in the West would be locked away in high containment laboratories, end quote. The National Pulse can reveal. And this is already beginning to sound exactly like the Wuhan Institute of Virology. An article published by The Washington Post on August 30th, 2005, U.S. to aid Ukraine in countering bioweapons, reveals a lab now receiving U.S. government funds formerly, quote, supplied highly lethal pathogens to Soviet bioweapons factories. One lab to receive funding is the I.I. Metchnikov Anti-Plague Scientific and Research Institute in the Black Sea port city of Odessa. The Institute was part of a Cold War network of anti-plague stations that supplied highly lethal pathogens to Soviet bioweapons factories. In 2008, researchers from the James Martin Center for Non-Proliferation Studies in Monterey, California, noted of the Mechnikov facility, quote, its management claimed in 2003 that it knew nothing about either the Soviet offensive or defensive bioweapons program. We questioned the second since it was, in effect, a closed facility until the late 1980s and worked on highly dangerous Group 2 pathogens and probably, at least at the time, on some Group 1 pathogens since at least 1965. It would make sense if at least one of its laboratories worked on Problem 5 projects. Problem 5 was the code name given to the Soviet bioweapons program. Another report by the James Martin Center revealed disturbing practices at the U.S.-funded facility. The lack of modern biosafety equipment is also raising concern among U.S. officials about the potential for an accidental release of deadly bacteria and viruses. In Odessa, where 44 scientists and about 140 support staff carry out research in the I.I. Metchnikov Anti-Plague Scientific and Research Institute, scientists wearing cotton smocks and surgical masks work with lethal microbes that in the West would be locked away in high containment laboratories and handled only by scientists in spacesuits. Well, that's weird. I thought the masks worked. The lab scientists said their training in handling dangerous materials allowed them to work safely with pathogens without Western-style safety equipment, which they viewed as unnecessary and which in any case they cannot afford. Many of the institutes are located in downtown areas and some work with pathogens with windows wide open said Sonia Ben-Algram who currently authored the Monterey study with Zelinskis and Alexander Melakishvili The news follows Biden State Department official Victoria Nuland telling the United States Senate that the American government is concerned about biological research facilities falling into Russian hands as a result of the ongoing conflict in Eastern Europe, despite the department appearing to correct her testimony the following day. The unearthed article also confirms a previous National Pulse report revealing how former President Barack Obama spearheaded negotiations leading to the lab eventually receiving U.S. government funds as part of a memorandum of understanding with the U.S. Defense Department. The agreement, the result of more than a year of negotiations, was announced by Senators Richard Lugar and Barack Obama during a visit to the Ukrainian capital Kiev, notes The Washington Post. A separate article from the Irish Times, Odessa Labs host Deadly Legacy, explains the Odessa-based laboratory's former connections to the Soviet Union's biological weapons programs, dubbed a repository of knowledge, equipment, and lethal pathogens that could be useful to bioterrorists. The lab Obama negotiated to receive U.S. funds was highlighted for its inadequate safety procedures. The institutes were not officially part of the Soviet bioweapons complex, so they have been ineligible for the tens of millions of dollars given each year by Western governments to keep former weapons scientists from selling their expertise. These governments are just beginning to look for ways to help the institutes, and not only because of the bioterrorism threat. In a two-year study of Russia's biotech industry, a panel of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences recently urged former Soviet republics to modernize the anti-plague labs and integrate them with other global networks working to prevent pandemics. Thank goodness. They often have culture collections of pathogens that lack biosecurity, and they employ people who are well-versed in investigating and handling deadly pathogens, said Raymond Zelinskis a bioweapons expert and co-author of a draft report by scholars from the Center for Nonproliferation Studies at the Monterey Institute of International Studies on the role of Ukrainian labs in Soviet bioweapons efforts. Some are located at sites accessible to terrorist groups and criminal groups, he added. The unearthed biolab facility follows intense scrutiny over the U.S. government's decision to fund risky gain-of-function research in Wuhan at a Chinese Communist Party-run lab with military ties. One Swedish-made penis enlarger pump. That's not mine.
1: One credit card receipt for Swedish-made penis enlarger Signed by Austin Powers. I'm telling you, baby, that's not mine.
0: One warranty card for Swedish-made penis enlarger pump filled out by Austin Powers. I don't even know what this is. This sort of thing ain't my bag, baby. (laughs) One book, Swedish-made penis enlarger pumps and me. This sort of thing is my bag, baby, by Austin Powers. Biological weapons do indeed seem to be the evil twins bag, baby. But here's Marco Rubio with the director of the CIA, William Burns. And let's see if they can spin it any better.
2: There's a difference between a bioweapons facility and one that's doing research. A bioresearch facility is a totally different thing than a bioweapon facility because you could have samples of a deadly or you know serious pathogen. But that doesn't mean you could weaponize it or that you're working on weaponizing it but people ask themselves if there's these facilities there and there's a lot that play here i mean there was a lot we should have I, and this is none of you but a long time ago this should have been acknowledged like there are yes there are these labs this is what they do cuz a lot of these fact checkers just said don't even mention labs cuz it's it's they don't even exist they do they exist all over the world there's city there's labs like that right here so the what i think got some people fired up is when she said we're worried that the Russians will get a hold of these facilities because that implies that there's something in those facilities that's very dangerous. So I don't know if you could shed some light on how it can, how there can be things in a lab that are dangerous, but they not be weapons labs. Yeah, all I would, all I would say, Senator, is that you know that the danger here, it seems to me, is the capacity the Russians have developed and that they've used in the past, and they're you know, interest in trying to create false narratives here as well. Um, To the best of my knowledge, well, you have to be careful about, you know, any of those substances you've, you've talked about, which you see in public health or research systems around the world for civilian purposes. Well, you have to be careful about that. That is in no way akin to the kind of threats that would be posed by, you know, weapons research and development or weapons facilities yeah I, I just think that the answer is what piqued a lot of people's uh and and look they're they're latching onto it is my point this is what the i think there's been such a good job done at defeating them in the information space but this is one where they seem to have latched on i don't i, I don't think anyone b- believes per se that if there's some very serious attack or even a fake one that they've that, that that we're gonna they're gonna convince the american public that the ukrainians are behind
0: so little marco is in an absolute panic Trying to figure out how to say everything in a way that makes it sound innocuous. And he asked, what is the distinction between a bio research facility and a bioweapons facility? And they both agree, the CIA director chimes in, they both agree that the real danger, the real danger is whether or not the Russians are going to be able to spin a false narrative. The real danger is not the actual bioweapons in these research laboratories. The danger is how things might affect the narrative. Now, Marco Rubio is confident that we've done such a good job of defeating them in the information space, but they've really latched onto this bio labs thing. Well, I, you know, I don't think that any Americans are going to believe that the Ukrainians could have done it. But man, they're sure latched on. It's like Marco Rubio can tell that the narrative about a Russian false flag is not going to work. People are not going to believe that the Russians are launching some sort of chemical or biological attack after we already know they're going after the biolabs. Their narrative, their playbook, their plan is getting completely destroyed. And by they, I'm talking about the global evil twin, the global communists, the people who are trying to stand with Ukraine, like the Rothschilds, for instance, who lit up their entire vast mansion in blue and yellow, like Ukraine is their homeland or something. I mean, there's definitely not a connection through like the Kazarium Mafia or anything. But let's go a little bit further on this bioweapons lab thing. Going to turn to the National Pulse again. This is from June 28th of last year, June 28th, 2021, by Natalie Winters. Hunter Biden invested in a pandemic firm collaborating with Dash EcoHealth and the Wuhan lab. Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners was an offshoot of Rosemont Capital, an investment fund founded by Biden and John Kerry's stepson in 2009 that counted Biden as a managing director. Among the companies listed on archived versions of the firm's portfolio is Metabiota, a San Francisco-based company that purports to detect, track, and analyze emerging infectious diseases. Financial reports reveal that RSTP, that's Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, led the company's first round of funding, which amounted to $30 million. Former managing director and co-founder of RSTP, Neil Callahan, a name that appears many times on Hunter Biden's hard drive, also sits on Metabiota's board of advisors. Since 2014, Metabiota has been a partner of EcoHealth Alliance as part of the U.S. Agency for International Developments, that's USAID, PREDICT project, which seeks to predict and prevent global emerging disease threats. It seems... Like, they are much better at predicting them. And predictions become way easier when you're the party that gets to decide whether or not the thing you predicted happens. Like, I can predict I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow morning. I am almost 100% certain that's true. But hey, life, you know, anything could happen. As part of this effort, researchers from Metabiota EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology collaborated on a study relating to bat infectious diseases in China. Sensitive and broadly reactive RT-PCR assays were performed at Wuhan Institute of Virology, Chinese Academy of Sciences, the paper notes. The proximity between Hunter Biden and COVID-19's origins are almost too convenient. Among the researchers listed on the aforementioned 2014 paper are bat lady Shi Zhengli and and the director of the Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases at the Chinese Communist Party's Wuhan lab. The disgraced Peter Daszak, recently recused from the Lancet COVID-19 Commission due to several conflicts of interest as a longtime collaborator of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, is also listed as an author. And they go into some of the Daszak stuff and some of the eco-health stuff, but I'm going to jump down. Researchers from Metabiota have also been listed alongside EcoHealth Alliance personnel on a 2014 study on henipavirus virus spillover, 2014 study on Ebola monitoring, 2015 study focusing on herpes, and 2015 study on viral diversity. Beyond the ties to EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota has also been embroiled in controversy for bungling America's response to Ebola. And all of this makes me think about how Donald Trump used to bring up over and over and over again, how Joe Biden screwed up the response to H1N1. I bet we're going to find out there was more to that comment than just making fun of Joe Biden. But jumping down to the end of the article here. In April 2021, Joe Biden's USAID announced a new initiative spearheaded by EcoHealth Alliance to track emerging infectious diseases with pandemic potential. Isn't that amazing? More money to Peter Daszak and EcoHealth, the people who not only created COVID, but helped cover it up. But Biden's giving them more money. And I'm sure Anthony Fauci was clapping in the background. Also collaborating on the taxpayer funded venture is Metabiota, whose researchers have been listed as authors on papers from June 2021 relating to coronavirus surveillance in Africa. And it turns out that Metabiota has also received US government support for lab work in Georgia and Ukraine. So we know that Hunter Biden is involved with Metabiota. We know that Metabiota is involved. With lab work in Ukraine. But are there instances where the lab work in that part of the world may have caused problems? I think we'll continue to keep finding out that they did. But in the meantime, I want to share a text exchange from Hunter Biden's laptop with you. This is an exchange with Halle Biden, who was his brother's wife and then his mistress. And if you didn't know that, it's true. Hunter Biden's brother died, and his brother's wife and Hunter started a sexual relationship that sometimes would even involve other people. All class in that family. So Halley is writing to Hunter, and it sounds like Hunter is really worried about what Halley might know or might believe. He says, Makes me wonder, Hallie, how far would you go? She says, me? What are you talking about? He writes, so you believe I've had children burned alive in Donetsk? Donetsk. That's one of the separatist regions that Putin is claiming to be protecting in Ukraine. So you believe I've had children burned alive in Donetsk? Now that suggests some sort of complicity with the neo-nazis in Ukraine even beyond the bio lab stuff she says your text's not making sense he said or that i had people murdered in beijing children killed in, Dun- in donetsk ukraine she says i don't know what you are talking about and hunter says they write about it all the time she says i haven't read any news like that and he says They talk about how I run a criminal empire and she tells him just stay sober. Now, Hunter's not quite admitting right there that he had children burned alive in Donetsk and people murdered in Beijing, but he does seem like he has a guilty conscience. And think about what his relationship with Hallie must be like. If he's concerned that she could potentially believe he's responsible for having children burned alive in Donetsk. Think about all the people closest to you. Do you believe that any of them could be responsible for having children burned alive in Ukraine? Probably not, right? I mean, automatically. Almost 100 percent of the people, you know, and are close to would have no way of making that happen. You couldn't possibly even believe there could be a possible way that they could have that happen. Like, I don't know how I could possibly have made that happen. It's impossible. I don't have any relationships in any of that. But Hunter Biden is worried that one of the people closest to him in his entire life believes that about him. So it doesn't matter if you think that story is credible or if I think that story is credible, and I do. Hunter thinks that Halley thinks it's credible. That's really bad. It's moments like this that I cannot wait for Garrett Ziegler and Marco Polo to release the entire report on the Hunter Biden laptop. This sort of thing is just scratching the surface. Now, we've talked a bit about the MIG jets, the aged Russian MIGs that were supposed to be transported from Poland into Ukraine or maybe from Poland to Germany and then Ukraine. And then we would waste American taxpayer money giving new fighter jets to Poland. And the fighter jets they have would be flown by Ukrainian pilots to shoot down Russian aircraft. And somehow this masterful plan was going to get us around the idea on Vladimir Putin's part that we were somehow engaged in a war against Putin. But not to worry, because the adults are in the room that was what happened when the fake administration took office. We were told by the very smart people in our society that the adults were back in the room. That was one of Sam Harris's favorite things. We just need to get the adults back in the room. Trump is not a serious person. His administration, they're not serious people. I know this because the news tells me so. So we need the adults back in the room. Well, here's an adult. This is Kamala Harris, who was sent over to Europe once again to fix things with all her expertise. Joe Biden can't make the trip himself, not because this isn't all important, but because Joe Biden actually has extensive legal problems in Ukraine because he's one of the most corrupt people on the planet. And a lot of his corruption goes right through Ukraine. So Kamala Harris is over there and she had this to say. The
3: U.N. has set up a process by which there will be a review and investigations, and we will, of course, participate as appropriate and necessary. But we all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet, based on what we've just been able to see. And because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened but just limited to what we have seen. Pregnant women going for healthcare, being injured by, I don't know, a missile, a bomb, in an unprovoked, unjustified war, where a powerful country is trying to take over Another country violated sovereignty, its territorial integrity for the sake of what? Nothing that is justified or provoked? Absolutely there should be an investigation and we should all be watching and I have no question the eyes of the world are on this war and what Russia has done in terms of this aggression and these atrocities. I have no doubt.
0: She's Literally hoping that everyone has seen the same Western propaganda news coverage of the situation in Ukraine and has believed and accepted all of it. We overthrew their legitimate government in 2014 with street protesters and rioters that our media called peaceful, and then we installed a puppet government, and then there was Basically, a civil war for eight years in these separatist regions of ethnic Russians who speak Russian and don't want to be part of Ukraine. And they're always being attacked by neo Nazis. And we have bioweapons labs there. And now Putin is attacking those. Hopefully, they don't fall into the wrong hands. You guys all believe me, right? The adults are fully. Back in the room. Now, let's switch subjects without a segue and talk about some election fraud. This is from a man named Jeff O'Donnell, who online goes by the Lone Raccoon. But he is a very serious person and an elections expert. And he has testified in Wisconsin about election fraud in Wisconsin. And he has worked on election fraud across the country. This is a post he made yesterday. I haven't said a lot about New York state. According to Democrats, a rock solid bastion of liberal socialism that can be counted on to produce a huge number of electoral votes every four years. So if they were going to concoct a national conspiracy to steal the 2020 election, they obviously don't have the time and effort to do anything in New York, right? Nassau County. Why with 78% of the vote in, According to the New York Times and Edison, that's the reporting service on election night. This is what is considered the source of the information. They receive the vote tallies in real time and then put them out to the public. So with 78 percent of the vote in in Nassau County, Trump was leading with a Trump Biden ratio of one hundred two percent. Okay, so hundred Biden votes. Trump gets one hundred and two. But the last 22 percent of the vote to come in was so pro Biden that it dove to 82 percent by the end. All right. So by the end of the election, that last 22 percent of the vote comes in. And rather than Trump leading one oh two to one hundred, he's now down 82 to 100. So every hundred votes for Biden, Trump only has 82. That is a huge difference to make up With only 22% of the vote remaining back to the post, he says about two out of every three votes from that time forward went to Biden election day votes should have been at the end. And we all know Trump wins election day in-person votes by huge margins everywhere. You didn't shuffle the votes around and add a bunch of Biden votes or throw out a bunch of Trump votes at the end. Did you? I'm no lawyer, but I think that's illegal. Rockland County, with 87 percent of your votes counted. You reported, per Edison in New York Times, Trump up by a ratio of 240 percent. So every hundred Biden votes is 240 Trump votes. That is a dominating win at that point. But those last 13 percent drove it down to 96.5 percent. That is a staggering reversal in the trend and an unbelievable proportion of Biden to Trump votes. Rockland and Nassau, if your internal results do not match these figures, then I urge you to band with other counties in a class action lawsuit against Edison and New York Times for manipulating your results. Also a very odd thing. New York in 56 out of your 62 counties, Trump did worse against Biden than he had done against Hillary. Okay, these things happen. But why did the six in which he improved include Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan and Queens? Did the reliable Dem voters in those strongholds all of a sudden decide to go a different way than the more moderate rest of the state? What are the answers, New York? And this is very interesting because I have been talking consistently for the last year and a half about how there really are not these blue strongholds all around the country, these guaranteed blue states. That is a myth, and we have to let go of it. That is a myth that is perpetuated by years, decades of election fraud in those places. Election fraud happens everywhere, and it happens in the very red states, too. We just talked last week about how it obviously happened in the Texas primary. But I am really looking forward to the day where we start flipping over these supposed blue states and get the real results and see what things really look like in New York, in California, in Oregon. And speaking of Texas, this is from the Texas Tribune a couple of days ago. Harris County election chief resigns as political parties demand answers over fumbled vote count. With counting holdups and missed ballots marring what amounted to a low turnout election, Harris County's election administrator has announced she is resigning amid pressure from local leaders of both political parties to explain what went wrong in last week's primary. Houston area voters saw relatively few issues on election day, but days later, the state's largest county faced a 10,000 vote sized problem. Over the weekend, Harris County election officials announced that thousands of mail-in ballots, 6,000 Democratic and 4,000 Republican, had mistakenly been left off the county's vote tally. This came after unofficial results were significantly delayed, in part because more than 1,000 ballot sheets were damaged as voters tried out the county's new voting machines. Sounds like a very safe and secure election. On Tuesday afternoon, the Houston Chronicle reported that Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo, a Democrat, said she wanted a change in leadership and intended to replace election administrator Isabel Longoria. Shortly after, Longoria announced she would step down on July 1st. Got to get through that runoff election in Texas, right? Her resignation came after Harris County Democrats called for a comprehensive post-election review, while Republicans... Regular adversaries of the county's Democratic leadership simultaneously sued the county and demanded Longoria's resignation. What we hope to come out of this is either Isabel Longoria and her management team resign or are fired, but more importantly for the court to actually step in and provide independent oversight over the election process. Cindy Siegel, the chair of the Harris County Republican Party, said at a press conference Monday, ultimately the county commissioner's court voted to bring in a third-party consultant to review the county's elections operations and make recommendations for improvement for the remaining 2022 elections. Oh, good. Third-party consultants. Are they nonpartisan? In its lawsuit, the GOP is raising allegations of several violations of the Texas election code tied to the primary election. It also targets Longoria in her official capacity for breach of contract in Texas, Political parties typically contract county elections offices to run primary elections, though the parties appoint polling judges on Election Day. Earlier Tuesday, a spokesperson for the county elections office said it is still reviewing the suit, but said it included many exaggerating and misleading statements regarding what actually happened on Election Day in Harris County. Instead of working together to finalize counting the votes, the party is pursuing litigation to undermine the integrity of elections in this state and further deflect from the appalling impacts of Senate Bill 1, including the almost 11,000 mail-in ballots flagged in Harris County for rejection. Leah Shaw, the spokesperson, said in an email Tuesday, we will address each allegation in court filings as appropriate. So you got that? All the allegations are false. And they are just being made to attack the integrity of elections, even after they already attacked the integrity of our elections by passing laws that made it harder to commit mail-in ballot fraud. The delays in Harris County began on election night when election workers began compiling vote tallies after polls closed. Like many other Texas counties, Harris recently switched to new voting machines meant to leave a paper trail. After making their selections on an electronic device, voters feed a printed version of their ballot into a scanner to cast their vote. The ballot is so lengthy in Harris that it requires two printed ballots per voter. And there's nothing wrong that could happen there. That's basically how I got to vote in California in 2020. I made my selections on the screen. It printed out a ballot with a little code And that is all supposedly my vote exactly as I intended. And then you feed it into the scanner. But the scanner I tried to feed it into just spit it out. So I had to go to a different scanner. Maybe that was the special scanner for Trump votes. Do I know that? Obviously not. Is it possible? Absolutely. Would I trust any elections official in Los Angeles, California? Hell no. And then finally, I want to go through this piece from this morning in Just the News. John Solomon put this together. The headline is Ballot Bombshells, 20 Episodes Exposing Fraud, Illegalities and Irregularities in the 2020 Election. And there's a bit of an introduction here, but I'm going to just jump right down to the examples. Number one, foreign intrusion. Federal authorities have confirmed that two Iranian nationals successfully hacked into a state computer election system, stole 100,000 voter registrations, and used the data to carry out a cyber intimidation campaign that targeted GOP members of Congress, Trump campaign officials, and Democratic voters in the November 2020 election in one of the largest foreign intrusions in U.S. election history. The defendants were, quote, part of a coordinated conspiracy in which Iranian hackers sought to undermine faith and confidence in the U.S. presidential election. U.S. attorney Damian Williams declared in an indictment. And we also knew that before the election because John Ratcliffe went out for a press conference with Chris Ray right next to him. And I believe Chris Krebs was there as well. And he talked about this exact incident foreign interference in elections, Iranian hackers accessing voter registration databases. He brought this up before the election. I think it was October 29th and then again on election day. And since this is foreign interference in an American election, that alone could trigger Trump's executive order 13848. And if you have a look at that executive order, which you should if you have not already, It describes the extremely harsh penalties that anyone involved in foreign interference in our elections or aiding foreign interference in our elections could suffer. And I hope we're going to see them start suffering those harsh penalties, which include the seizure of all of their assets. I cannot wait until that is applied to the tech billionaires. Alleged bribery, the former state Supreme Court justice appointed by the Wisconsin legislature to investigate the 2020 election concluded that millions of dollars in donations to election administrators in five Democrat heavy municipalities from the Mark Zuckerberg funded Center for Tech and Civic Life violated state anti bribery laws and corrupted election practices by turning public election authorities into liberal get out the vote activists the Zuckerberg funded CTCL Zuckerberg five scheme would prove to be an effective way to accomplish the partisan effort to turn out their desired voters. And it was done with the active support of the very people and the governmental institution, the Wisconsin elections commission that were supposed to be guarding the Wisconsin elections administrative process from the partisan activities they facilitated. Justice Michael Gableman wrote, illegal ballot harvesting in Wisconsin. Gableman also exposed an extensive vote collection operation known as ballot harvesting in nursing homes in which third-party activists illegally collected the ballots of vulnerable residents, some of whom lacked the mental or physical capacity to vote or were forbidden from voting by guardianship agreements. State election regulators, quote, unlawfully directed the municipal clerks not to send out the legally required special voting deputies to nursing homes, resulting in many nursing homes, registered residents voting at a hundred percent rates and many ineligible residents voting despite a guardianship order or incapacity. Gableman wrote in his explosive report, ballot harvesting probe in the peach state, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has announced he has opened a criminal investigation into allegations that liberal activists engaged in illegal ballot harvesting, collecting ballots from voters and delivering them in violation of state law. Raffensperger said he is planning to issue subpoenas to identify a whistleblower who admitted that he engaged in the operation and there could be prosecutions. The True the Vote Election Integrity Group says in a formal complaint that the man identified as John Doe Admitted his role and identified nonprofits who funded it at $10 per ballot delivered. The watchdog group also claims it has assembled cell phone location records pinpointing the alleged harvesting by as many as 240 activists. And it goes without saying that no one should trust Brad Raffensberger at all. He is running for re election this year, so he is now trying to appear tough on election fraud while still denying election fraud. I heard him in an interview a week or so ago, still denying that the 2020 election was a problem, but he's working to fix all the problems that weren't problems. Bad voter signatures, a review of Maricopa County's mail-in ballots in Arizona's 2020 presidential election, estimated that more than 200,000 ballots with signatures that did not match voter files were counted without being reviewed more than eight times the number the county acknowledged. And it's over 20 times the difference between what Trump was said to have gotten and what Biden was said to have gotten. There was about a 9,600 vote difference, if I recall correctly, in Arizona. And that right there is 200,000 votes that should not have been counted. But that's not all. 50,000 Arizona ballots called into question. An extensive audit by Arizona's Senate officially called into question more than 50,000 ballots cast in the 2020 election, including voters who cast ballots from residences they had left. The tally in question is nearly five times the margin of Joe Biden's victory in the state. And Solomon is probably correct there. Maybe it's 10,600, something in that range. Illegal ballot drop boxes. A Wisconsin judge has ruled the widespread use of ballot drop boxes in 2020 was unlawful. And the state Supreme Court let that ruling stand. That means drop boxes can't be used in future elections starting in April. It also means that tens of thousands of ballots in the 2020 election were cast unlawfully. And that tens of thousands is a very low end estimate. It could be 300,000. It could be up to a million. And for all the times that all the Biden voters say the court's found that Trump's evidence was no good. Obviously, they don't know anything. But this right here is the court, the Supreme Court in Wisconsin, saying that those thousands and thousands of ballots, well more than the amount Trump would need to win over Biden's totally fake total, were unlawful. And if they're unlawful, then they shouldn't have been certified. And if they shouldn't have been certified then Joe Biden doesn't get Wisconsin in his electoral vote count. This is a political issue. People have to stand up and take charge and demand that this stuff gets fixed. Foreign voters found on Texas rolls. An audit of Texas voter rolls identified nearly 12,000 non-citizens suspected of illegally registering to vote and nearly 600 cases in which ballots may have been cast in the name of a dead resident or by a voter who may also have voted in another state. Officials are now in the process of removing foreign voters and deciding whether prosecutions are warranted. But don't worry, none of this could have possibly affected the outcome of any race in Texas. Texas went for Trump, so that means everything is fine. No, it doesn't. Not at all. Foreign voters found on Georgia rolls. An audit by Georgia's Secretary of State has identified more than 2,000 suspected foreigners who tried to register to vote in the state, though none reached the point of casting ballots. Raffensperger says prosecutions may be forthcoming. Unconstitutional mail-in voting. The Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court has concluded the state law that opened the door to no-excuse mail-in voting in 2020 was unconstitutional and that mail-in voting can only be enacted by a constitutional amendment. A constitutional amendment must be presented to the people and adopted into our fundamental law before legislation authorizing no excuse mail-in voting can be placed upon our statute books. The court ruled about 2.5 million voted by mail in Pennsylvania in 2020 votes now called into question by the ruling 2.5 million votes in Pennsylvania were unlawful, but there was no election fraud anywhere. More non-citizen voters. The Gableman investigation in Wisconsin also found non-citizens had made it into the state voter rolls in violation of state law. The Wisconsin Election Commission failed, quote, to record non-citizens in the WISVOTE voter database, thereby permitting non-citizens to vote, even though Wisconsin law requires citizenship to vote, all in violation of the Help America Vote Act, the investigator wrote. And you should understand the connection here in the states that give driver's licenses to illegal immigrants and also register people at the DMV. They can say all they want that non citizens are not allowed to vote because that's what the law says. But if they register them to vote and they send them a ballot and the person votes and no one bothers to check or prosecute any of it, then essentially, illegal immigrants absolutely are allowed to vote despite the laws and despite the wishes of the taxpaying citizens. Ballot chain of custody issues. The Georgia secretary of state's office has opened an investigation into the handling of drop box ballots last November in one of the state's Democratic strongholds following a media report that there were problems with chain of custody documentation in DeKalb County. And we've Gone through this a bunch of times, the Garland Favorito stuff. Hundreds of thousands of ballots in Georgia with no chain of custody records whatsoever. And that happened in many states around the country. Fulton County irregularities. Georgia's hand picked election monitor for Fulton County, the state's largest voting district documented two dozen pages of mismanagement and irregularities during vote counting in Atlanta in November, 2020, including double scanning of ballots, insecure transport of ballots and violations of voter privacy. The revelations prompted the state to take steps to possibly put Fulton County into receivership, empowering state officials to run the elections. Most of Fulton County's election officials have left their jobs, But again, Brad Raffensperger says everything was totally safe and secure. Joe Biden won. There were no problems. Trump was making it all up. And 2020 doesn't matter anymore. Now vote Raffensperger in 2022. Aaron's vote counting. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp referred the audited November 2020 election results in Fulton County to the state election board after multiple reviews found three dozen significant problems with absentee ballot counting, including duplicate tallies, math errors and transposed data. Kemp's referral calls into question hundreds of ballots in the official count. Dirty voter rolls. Michigan's official state auditor has found that Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson failed to adhere to state election law by properly updating and reconciling Michigan's qualified voter role. This oversight, according to the audit, increased the risk of ineligible voters casting ballots. Ineligible exemptions from voter I.D. The Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled as many as 200,000 voters were allowed to illegally skip voter I.D., For absentee ballots, by claiming they were indefinitely confined by COVID when there was no such legal authority to do so. Biden beat Trump by about 20,000 votes in the state. Uneven enforcement of election laws. The Wisconsin Legislative Audit Bureau identified more than 30 problems with the administration of elections in 2020, including unlawful orders and uneven enforcement of the law, and urged lawmakers to make sweeping improvements. More illegal harvesting in Arizona, a half dozen people have already been indicted on charges of illegal harvesting in a probe by Attorney General Mark Burnovich that shows signs of expanding. It comes after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Democrats arguments and concluded Arizona's ban on harvesting was constitutional voter fraud in Michigan. Michigan charged three women in connection with voter fraud schemes, including efforts to cast ballots on behalf of non-consenting nursing home residents. And still more nursing home fraud. In Wisconsin, Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schmalling announced his investigators have secured evidence that eight out of 42 residents at a local nursing home had been recorded as casting absentee ballots that their families said was not possible Because the residents didn't possess the cognitive ability to vote. And I know that all of this stuff is stuff we've gone through on the show before over the last year and a half. But I thought it was worth the time because it's good to get this isn't even the full picture, by the way, but it's good to get a broad picture of how all encompassing the election fraud was in 2020 now. This stuff focuses on the swing states, and a lot of the attention has been put on the swing states, and people can easily understand why that's so. But these problems exist everywhere. The systems they use in these states are used in all the states around the country at some level, and the more blue those states are, the more they use this system. It's also worth noting that the way people are going to perceive articles like this, I mean, Just the News is a fairly popular publication. John Solomon is a very well-respected reporter. These are 20 instances of obvious and proven election fraud and election regularities. Over time, this stuff chips away at the idea that the election was safe and secure. And people are more open to hearing that now as they see how truly incompetent this fake and illegitimate and corrupt administration is. You can kind of begin to feel all of these stories converging. These narratives are becoming impossible to avoid. And, you know, I've said forever that the election fraud narrative is going to come to that point. I think we're getting to that point really fast, partly because of this biolab narrative. The more this thing grows and the more proven the case becomes, that is going to start tearing apart The entire globalist narrative, it touches absolutely everything, including the man who's pretending to be president right now and his son. And when all that comes out, when the Marco Polo report on Hunter Biden's laptop comes out, it's going to be a wave and I'm looking forward to it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's high noon. In my mind, that's the end game.